2: My first ever profile picture on Facebook was me with an entire fist in my mouth. That did not belong to me, actually, I will share. (laughs) Chris, what's the name of our podcast? Uh, It's called Homo
3: Sapiens. What season are we in? Uh, Spring. Who's our guest this week? Our
2: guest this week is David Sedaris, for goodness sake. Should we get started? I think we'd better. How are you? Well,
3: I got back from Marrakesh last night... Shut up. I've been out there for six days. Didn't tell anyone. Just went. Been doing yoga, this amazing breathing. I won't bore everyone on this podcast about it, but we need to talk because it is incredible for anxiety. Breathing. Well, breathing in general. I mean that's needed <laughs> no, for it's incredible for living. I've been doing this yoga. It is unbelievable. But anyway, that aside, I've found my Zanadu, my Kubla Khan. Um, Tiger, tiger, burning bright A host of cloudy daffodils I've gone through three poems there I found my Mecca in Marrakesh Um, I wasn't allowed to buy anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I bought a door I bought your presents With the S on the end is the bit that I love And I really don't want to give them to you now That's the best kind of present And I'm back and I am drinking 10 gallons of water for my second day in a row because I'm doing this thing called shredding uh-huh. when you then basically pee out all the water from your muscles. It's what fighters do to lose lots of weight. And that is for my video on Thursday. And I cannot say any more about my video because
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh. it will be
3: an, ex- an exclusive. I think it's airing on um, QVC.
2: I think it will be airing on. That would be the dream, no? Are you... Can we go on QVC, please? We're supposed to be going on. They've asked, We've asked and they said yes, but they were trying to think of something we could what? do. Where are you? Chris Sweeney, come in. I'm in California, US of A. I've decided to pull the trigger and I've come to LA to have the facelift. Hey, you don't need a facelift. In fact, it's you Too late look, now. You look great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on a morning TV show and I'm mm. going live to my um Hollywood reporter. Let's go to Chris Sweeney. All oh, right, it's Lorraine Kelly. All oh, right, let's go to a Hollywood reporter Chris Sweeney, who's out in Hollywood, aren't you? Who have you who Hi, have Lorraine. you been seeing? Hi what, Lorraine. What what oh, still talking Chris? Um huh. what what stars have you been
2: seeing? So did you ever know a magazine called Hello Mister? Yes. So it very sadly shut down for whatever reason it's based over here. Well it's based in New York actually. A guy called Ryan Fitzgibbon. He set it up and now he's closed it down. And anyway, he he did this really cool thing this week, which I thought was very pertinent and actually quite pertinent to me being in Los Angeles. He wrote on his Instagram, he posted this comment that he'd had on Grindr. I think it was Grinder. Someone had messaged him saying, was your memory better before your magazine went under and you begged for money on the internet? Like a really horrible message. And he posted it saying... Gay public service announcement. We talk a lot about supporting our community, but sometimes we're our own biggest enemies. A pattern of bullying in our collective past has built a protective exterior that manifests as a judgmental stare down the straw of a vodka soda and a laundry list of preferences in dating profiles. Hurtful comments on Instagram. And it looks like this. For every five positive interactions I have with Hello Mr. Readers, there's always one bruised ego of someone I needed a reminder of meeting... Or that wasn't featured in the magazine before it closed or who thought they could do it better after being... And maybe you're one of them. But he basically saying that the gay community is pretty mean to each other. Yeah. Sort of culture of being very competitive with each other. I don't know. What do you think
3: about that? It is very interesting that you bring up this very point. Oh, I've forgotten my accent. It's very interesting (laughs) because... I was writing out in Marrakesh about... And the chapter is called Bitchy Queens. Oh. And it was exploring just that. And I was talking about grinding profiles and things like that. I don't want to give too much away. But um, I think that we can be very unpleasant to each other. And I think if it's something specific within the gay community, uh, I think it comes from gay shame. Why do you think that is? if we haven't accepted our own sexuality, Mm -hmm. then when we're confronted with it by others, we want to lash out at them and put Mm -hmm. them down. Mm. Essentially, it's a very basic thing. So it's like when we see people who are being visible, we want them to shut up because we couldn't be visible ourselves as a protective mechanism. So it's like, don't be visible, don't be heard, don't be camp, don't be loud, don't be obvious. Mm-hmm. You know all these things, and so when we're confronted by any of those, it's like, well, if you're doing that, I'm going to be found out next. Mm. You know, so it's like, shut up. We go for them. You know, go I've got some interesting stuff to say actually. Please <clears throat> makes a change. <laughs> I was on Grinder in Marrakesh mm-hmm. and I was speaking to this person, and I asked him, group fund question, a student. Mark? i'm really far away 50 kilometers ordering taxi now 25 kilometers Um, 12 kilometers two kilometers (laughs) oh (laughs) so i was talking to this oh little piggy um i was talking to this person i said is it easy to be gay and he said no it's not i had to leave one of my jobs because my boss found out and i'm not out to my other boss and then I spoke to another person who, who was French, but he'd been out there for 20 years. And I said, what it, how easy is it being gay out here? And what is it? Because I said, I think quite a few people don't want to maybe come to Morocco because they're worried about, mm. you know, if they're gay travelers, they're worried about it. You know, LGBT travelers. And he said, it's a weird thing because it's illegal, but no one gets prosecuted for it. Basically, mm, mm. this is what he was saying. I know there's an underground that exists in in every country, whatever the strength of the law against the LGBT people and however horrific it is. And it seems in Morocco that there's a sort of like paradox that there are clubs. However, they're not openly gay clubs, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm. And I feel like the police sort of turn a blind eye, but they don't actually have legal rights. And that it's not legalised in Morocco, so it's quite interesting seeing. Like, there's a lot of people saying discreet on their profiles. Really, and I went to Grindr Extra, so I was. Going, <laughs> I went all the way through the Sahara. Chris, what's the impression I'm doing here? <coughs> A chicken. Can you see me on the screen? Yeah, a chicken. A cockerel. And I'm going to crow like a cockerel because do. of our guest this week. David Sedaris, no? David Sedaris, who we both really wanted to talk to for quite a long time. Yeah. He is an author and he not only has become famous for his writing, but almost as and more famous for his reading of his
2: books because his, the way he talks is hysterical. I think he's someone who can just observe real life, the minutia of real life in the most hysterical way that everybody can relate to. You go, I whenever I listen to his stories, I just he'll describe like a family encounter in this way that you're like, "Oh my god, why have I never thought about it like that?" And that is exactly what happens to me. He's incredibly sharp and wry and funny. And also has written of some
3: sadder moments with his family, you know, in a very moving piece, which I think you sent me about his sister in the New York Times once who passed away. And
2: I was so excited to meet him. I didn't realise he was such a natty dresser, actually. I felt like I learned a lot about fashion chatting to him. I watched you and him look at each other and each other's clothes and go, fellow traveller. You know what I mean? No. Stop it. What the was I wearing? I can't suddenly, remember. Oh, my God. Uh, Crocs. I think
1: Crocs. <laughs> <and>
2: then, <laughs> and an apron? Was I wearing my apron? A Crocs and an apron, I think. The usual. Mm, think it. Yes. So before we chat to David, we have got another one of our um, interviews that we did as we traveled across America with people who we just happened to meet in the various places we went to who interested us and were part of LGBTQ plus America. And today's interview is with a man called Michael, who coincidentally and oddly, in fact, sounds very much like David Sedaris. And he's a comedian, but he works in this LA institution of a restaurant called Cantor's. And do you remember he came over to our table and we just had yes. that thing that I think that a lot of LGBTQ Q plus people can relate to is that you just go, I know that you're yeah. gay or you're queer or whatever and we just hit it off and started chatting to him and he was so funny but also really poignant what he said as well about being gay in Trump's America so have a listen to this this is Michael from Cantors
4: Are you allowed to sit down with us? you have to stand up? Uh, I guess you can sit down for a second Like literally a second? <laughs> it's not me, like, i I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Oh, an algebra, six times table go. I, I can count to 21 if I'm naked. Uh, <laughs> oh <laughs> if my
2: only
4: God! If you're naked. Only if I'm naked. <laughs> do you know an an author called, an American guy called David Sedaris, who writes these... David Sedaris, I do know him very so we well. we
3: interviewed him. Oh yeah. And you remind me of David Sedaris. I was going to say, I get that. Do you get
4: at, that? I uh, Truman Capote, I get Dick Cavett. Really? Oh, yeah. It's the nasally gay voice. <laughs> <laughs> and the humour. Yeah. I've got to ask you, because yes. it's so interesting as an English person. are just like Graham Norton.
3: Graham <laughs> <We have> Norton for <laughs> trying to get him on the show yeah. um, well, like, what do you think of where
4: everything's at with Trump and all that Is oh it my ap- god it's so embarrassing like don't you guys think we're crazy like yes I just it's, just I, it's, good. it's been very educational I didn't realise that you could run for president and have so many things going against you but I don't I love America but what the F like what are we doing
0: <laughs> that's yeah. quite
4: interesting
3: So I'm saying it's embarrassing yes it's like, very it's embarrassing, embarrassing.
4: Do you, like... Whenever have them? I wait on foreigners, I'm like, oh, you must think we're so terrible. <laughs> Do lots of people ask about Trump? Uh, fortunately not. Yeah. I think it's so, like, people don't want to talk about it because you never know who's going to pull out a gun and <laughs> I you not know Oh, my God. <laughs> We made so many advances, but now that there's sort of, like... Uh, Anti-LGBT president in office. I, I feel like it's sort of taken a step back, mm-hmm. but we're not giving up. Because we're in this deli, uh-huh. you've
3: worked here for almost
4: five years, correct? And Obama came in here. He did. Did yeah. you see him? Yes. It, he was amazing. He, he's like he has so much presence, and he commands so much. Like, just I don't know. It's just an honor to be in his presence. Yeah. You can tell, like, what a great man he is. And I played it on Sandra Bullock. So to say that. Screw Obama. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Miss Congeniality. Yeah. One and two. Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what, um,
4: tell us a bit more about when Obama was here. What is uh, he came in and we were busy. And uh, I looked at the front door and I saw the black car with the eagle on it pull up. And then uh, I was like, what the F? And then I saw all these Secret Service guys. And so he came in and these uh, uh, paparazzi came in behind him. And then they kicked him out. And he was super nice. He walked up and down the aisles and like, shook a veteran's hand and was very nice, took pictures with us, and it was great. He drank hot tea, and he bought a homeless woman a meal outside, and then he, uh, what do you call it, he brought a box of cookies back to Michelle. So he's a good husband. We are <laughs> we're desperate to speak to Michelle. If you have oh, any in, so give us I some contact. Does she still know, cool. Does she still right. Uh, do Yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> I run speed dial.
3: What were, you, what were you doing before you
4: worked here? Were you waiting uh, somewhere else? Well, I was a very um, high-profile waiter in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I decided to come out here and do the same thing. I'm trying to be an actor, com- writer, comic. I used to do stand up comedy and stuff. So oh my God. That's why I'm so freaking funny. You are <laughs> so
3: freaking funny. Have you done stand up here?
4: I have. I've performed at like every major club in LA. And how's it going? I'm sitting here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hey, listen, I'm a pop star in sitting yeah. here, so right. you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Yeah. we're in good company. We're doing
4: well. As unglamorous it, it is, I have to run out some food. Yeah, okay yeah, yeah, if yeah. I yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Any parting me, shots? <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Fitzgerald Troy. Okay. You'll, you'll well, see me, the little blonde on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> we'll
3: do it. Guess what, William? Uh, you've got a tattoo of
2: my face. <laughs> on my face? <laughs> So odd. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's like talking to me. I'm staying round to the corner from Cantors Delhi where we spoke to Michael. So I'm gonna take my mum in there and we're gonna go and say hello to him. Oh my god. Please send him my love, give him a kiss. I Try will and get a do. discount. Oh yeah. Right, William, you know what time for now, don't you? It's time for Twitter. It's time to chat to our listeners and See what they see. What they think. This week's question was: What's one thing your parents taught you that completely changed your life? Abby says, "When I expressed nerves at being teased during a school play, my mum squeezed my hand with an alarming frosty and told me to bloody show them. I was fourteen. She died the next day, but I have never forgotten it and have been bloody showing them ever since." Oh wow! God.
3: That's oh, that's amazing. so sad and mm. lovely.
2: Sophie says, best advice from my dad was how to deal kindly but firmly with energy vampires takers. Oh, Oh, now we're talking our language. Burn the sage, burn the sage. Give them what they need, not what they want. Energy vampires, I mean, it's quite a good name for a band. Um, (laughs) C says, if you sound like you know what you're talking about, then everyone will believe you. A good experiment to try. It's frightening how many people don't question others that act with authority. Bit like
3: working on a video with you, Chris.
2: <laughs> Fake it till you make it. It's all right. Everything will be fine. The dog won't bite you. Ah, yes. fucking hell. Simon says, My mum taught me how to put a fabulous outfit together, and for that, I am so grateful. That's lovely. Peter says, Be wary of wigs. <laughs> That's my favourite. So I'm going to have a hair transplant, William. Are you? Absolutely.
3: Best thing I ever did.
2: I think for a man, although I try not to be vain, I think losing your hair makes you. You lose a lot of your identity, for me. I completely agree. And also, I found it quite
3: traumatising. I don't know, my whole face was changing.
2: William, what was the advice your parents gave you that you value most?
3: Uh, my dad said, don't drink yellow snow.
2: Or eat. And my... <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I've loved about your family is you'll have sans peur, without fear, tattooed on your arm, right?
3: Yeah, without fear. Yeah, but I think, to be honest, an ancestor just stole that ring from another family. I don't even know why it's in French. Was it from It's our ring? motto. It's your motto? Yeah, it's our motto, our family motto. But it's really... I think it's brilliant, that. Actually, to be serious, my dad's thing that I remember the most is c'est la vie. Mm, that's nice. And don't... When you lend money, don't expect to get it back. Those are my two.
2: Oh, I remember that one. <laughs> the... <laughs> Can anyway, borrow, moving on, moving on. Yeah. Can I borrow a Moroccan doll? Um the What's yours? What's your what did Frank tell you? Frank, my dad. Aww. Um Uh They both my parents are very good at being like, you know what? You've just got to make things happen yourself I think that could be one of
3: my favourite Twitter question and answers
2: it's such a short question that opens up so much big stuff
3: there's a radio show in that there's totally a radio show anyone listening is a radio show in that well we met Michael the David Sedaris number d earlier but now we're going to meet the premiere, the real deal yeah the real DS Um, (laughs) did you like him did you like David I did
2: I did. And actually, he is someone who, as often happens, you think you know someone because you've heard them. And actually, he was talking to us because of his book Calypso, which is out now, and is a collection of his most recent stories. But Mm. he's more kind of cheeky than i thought he was mm. like he yes. really enjoys disrupting he's a true eccentric as well so one of the things i love about him most is that he is famous for picking up rubbish around his house um because he hates the rubbish and he does it for up to eight hours a day or something crazy and he was actually invited to buckingham palace by the queen for to sort of say thanks for picking up rubbish it is quite
3: bizarre um because i always think you know When people get famous for something, it's suddenly like, right, they're in writer category and that's what they do with their life every day and that's them. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly he comes out with this whole other, well, to be honest job but he's yeah. very funny in one of his books and I can't remember which one and he talks about his Fitbit, and he talks about yes. what he starts working out how many steps he's done a day and that is linked to litter picking and I would I, I it was really very very funny so here it is our interview with David Sidaris.
5: if you make your living at it you know I mean it's to your benefit to laugh at things you know it's mm. to your benefit to laugh at whatever your pain is and to just look at everything as material mm. but what something when something happens to me I think one day this will be funny you know like maybe not today but one day like I was when I first moved to France I had a kidney stone and I went to the hospital and I, I was in French school but my you know my French wasn't so great and But I had a medical French book, so I knew the phrase, undress to your underwear. And so this, I went for the kidney stone. They said, come back next week for some tests. Came back the next week. Nurse leads me to a room, says, undress to your underwear. And then she says something else I didn't catch. And you can only ask, you can only say, huh, twice. Mm. So I go into their dressing room, and there are two doors leading out of it, right? So I'm in my underpants, and they're like, why fronts? And I just pick a door and I go out and there's a room with chairs and so I sit there and then this fully dressed couple comes in and then followed by another fully dressed couple and I'm the only one in my underpants and I think, well, if I, maybe she said something about a robe, you know, or, but if I get up and go back into that room, I'm going to look like I, I, a fool because I didn't understand, right? Yeah. So I sit there in my underpants, and then eventually a nurse comes and she finds me and says, "What are you doing here?" This, and and I thought one day, this, this would be funny. This would be funny, <laughs> but at the time, was it the waiting room. Yeah, but at the time it was not. It's the restaurant next. Because I'm not
2: comfortable in my underpants.
5: And <laughs> I have hair on my back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's
2: it's it's so funny that there is a weird social order that is keeping you there, because you're like, well, it'd be embarrassing to get up and walk yes. out now, yeah, but, it's like, right. but isn't it surely more embarrassing to stay sitting there? But <laughs> I mean, isn't that like the fall?
3: I tripped the other day and I, made the, I fell oh. over, and I made the decision to stay down for quite a while until I got attention from someone.
4: Wow. Really? Yeah, so, yeah.
3: Like yeah. a
2: footballer. Yeah, like a dive.
5: What, what was that? Why? What did you want...
3: But it was purely based on...
2: He was there for 45
3: minutes. (laughs) Oh, don't make me laugh, my poor ribs. It was purely based on embarrassment. I'll be like, I'll wait, get a bit more attention, milk it a bit, and then get up.
4: Mm.
5: Because I I fell a few weeks ago, and it was really embarrassing, Mm, and I fell and I tore my knee open. But then I got up and I pulled my notebook out of my pocket and I made notes like, oh, that worked out, just how I thought. You know, like, people... And and again I was just embarrassed but I w- what were you writing fell down but I b- b- put a little more effort into it so people would almost think I did did it for research <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> so I was you in agony and <clears throat> my my uh, leg was bleeding Ugh. and did anyone come oh. over so they started to but yeah. see when you're a certain age like I was in an elevator and uh, we get to the lobby, and especially in a nice hotel, it's after you, after you, after mm. you, and it's just such a waste of time. So I just walk out, and I, there's a puddle of water, and I fell. My legs went right out from under me. I fell. People said, "Don't move him." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I felt eight hundred years old. Is he, is he still breathing? <laughs>
3: That's kind of like... So humour is like a kind of mindfulness. It means I'm always observing. So like hearing you say, one day this
2: will be funny, it is kind of... It is mindfulness, I, isn't it? I, yeah, for me it's the other way around, though. I think I yearn for the day when I could fall over, stand up and be fine with it, instead of my mind being like, everybody's looking, how am I going to style this out in this moment? What you should do is bow.
3: Where's the gag? <laughs> yeah, bow yeah. Bow and that's bow. the gag. Is that what you do? You carry a notebook around and write constantly?
5: Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Right So country. Can
2: this be like a top trump of how many things David writes down that you say or I say? <laughs> <laughs> or be, you know, be Jesus none of but, none the fastest
3: bit. land animal in the world.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> did you know that? A peregrine falcon dives at 102 miles an hour. <laughs> when I was hmm. in treatment, we did art therapy. I probably texted you on the phone that was contraband. Um, I was like, I'm 35, and they're asking me, to do something with plasticine. You know what I mean? I was like, what the fuck's happened to
2: my life? <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and, it, it's, it's, <laughs> and it ain't cheap.
3: <laughs> and it ain't cheap, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was hysterical at the same time. So, I mean, by the way, f- three weeks later, I was fucking in that plasticine. Yeah. Oh, I was f- eating it. Um, got i got some in your pocket now. <laughs> <laughs> I made a model of you. Um, <laughs> but you know, like, if I didn't have humour, it would have been horrific, horrific. Because it would have just been horrific, but actually I could look at it and go, this is kind of hysterical.
5: What were you in treatment for? PTSD. Oh, really?
3: Yeah. I got, um, yeah, really bad PTSD. Wow. And disassociation and it was horrible. I had a breakdown.
5: We did a TED end, talk on end it, it on
3: sta- Sunday. End, end stage, <laughs> end left. <to> stage left.
2: End of stage left. He's not no my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't section me. We did, no, we did a TED talk on it, TEDx talk. I didn't feel
3: like a man until I was like 32 and went on some residential therapy course. And someone came up to me, a a very small Scottish woman who was terrifying, and said, you're a man, you know, you speak really meekly and you're, you know, what's going on. It was the first time that I actually thought, yeah, actually I don't really ever feel like a man. What what did you feel like instead? A big I felt like a failure as a man. Yeah, Mm. So I thought, well, if you take it up the bum, then you can't be a man. Mm. It's actually the opposite. (laughs) You're a real man. You know, it was really interesting. I'd sort of like put what I thought being a man was on hold. Did you ever have that? Did you, was was knowing you were gay and then coming out a very uh, easy transition?
5: No, I mean, I'm 61. So I go on these tours a lot in the United States, like I'm always on tour. Wow. And I sign books before and after every show. So it's been interesting over the years to meet parents and they'll come up, people will come up now and say, this is my son, Toby, and he's 13 and he's gay. Mm-hmm. And you look at Toby and he's like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I never in my never, oh my goodness, if, if, when I was 13, if I said that I was gay, they would have taken me to an institution. I mean, they would have, you know, mm-hmm. they would have started some kind of therapy. So, I mean, I feel like the longer you have to hide yourself away, the more deformed you become. Mm-hmm. I met I met somebody a while ago, and he was in his 40s. And I was signing his book, and he said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm gay. He said, I'm, you know, people don't know it, but I'm gay. And I thought, we were like in St. Louis or something. And I thought, oh, in your 40s, I mean, that's, in this day and age, you know, even if you were a priest or something, you'd think that you would have been able to... Mm. You know, so to be hidden away at that age. But I think the longer you hide yourself away, the more twisted and deformed you become. So when we think, when I meet someone in their 80s or 90s, and you think, gosh, they had to hide themselves away for, you know, 60, 65 years of their life. They mm. couldn't live with their, you know, they can maybe live down the hall from their boyfriend or something. But it's not like, mm. you know, there were the time they people couldn't have uh, lived
1: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Mm. I, I really agree with that, though. I think the, the hiding deforms you. And um, I think, you know, I think that's why... I'm now just completely speculating, so someone would beat me around the head, but, like, that's why there's so much association, let's say, with young gay men and drugs and stuff, you know. But I feel like that might dissipate over the years, in the the next ten years, when it is easier for, like, a 13-year-old to say they're gay. They will just be assimilated into their friendship groups in a way that you always became a slight outsider as a teenager. Well, it's that hangover, isn't it, of gay shame, really?
5: But you know how you can get involved in, like, pain competitions with people? right? Because everybody wants to Aim, have yes. suffered the most, right? Yes. And I was, I don't know, and I didn't mean to get into this, but I got into it. And I don't remember who the person was, but they said, yeah, well, at least when you're gay, you can just keep your mouth shut and nobody knows. Mm. And I thought, that's not really, uh, <laughs> that's not, I don't really see that as much of a plus. I mean, because yeah, you can live like that, but it's not, you know, it's really mm. destructive.
2: Mm. I you know, my pain's more important. It's like, We've actually said this to someone before, isn't it? It's just like, look, we've all got shit. Relax, you know. Yeah. And I was talking about it with my sister yesterday, actually, because we were talking about things that annoy you when you grow up. And I was like, talk about it, but talk about it once with that person, and then move on. Like you can't keep banging on about it. Like, well, the reason I am the way I am is because dot, dot, dot. And no, you either get over it or you don't. Well, yeah, because what do you doesn't... want? Like a perfect existence, and then I can flourish. You know, it's just not... Uh... Yeah, some people aren't capable, I think. That's what it is. What's that saying? Capable or willing. You know?
3: And so... <laughs> yeah, so there's a bit of... I think that you won't get there. Like, so it would be easy for me to say... You know, that person just needs to deal with their shit and get on with it. And I can't really... They just might not have it in them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They just might not have it in them.
5: Well, I think, too, it's pretty naive to think that if somebody has... You know, like, oh, you had some records, so nothing can hurt you. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, you can still get cancer and you can still get your heart broken and you can still... And and you're gonna feel those things as deeply as somebody who never had records. But I think when you're young or you're naive, you just think, oh, you know, that person, you know, reached a certain level of success. So
3: do you ever offend people? Oh, you have really? Oh, yeah, but but how? Who? who, Without
5: even meaning to, you know,
3: through your work or in my work
5: usually. But it's not even anything that you can. Count on. You know, like it's, it's something that just people brought with them. Mm. You know, maybe they brought with them to okay. the... I wrote this essay about cursing in other countries and in the Netherlands, if someone cuts you off on your bike, you call them a cancer whore mm-hmm. or a tuberculosis whore, mm. which is just weird to me, you know, stitching those two words together. Like in Denmark, you say <laughs> to someone, why don't you run around in my ass? <laughs>
3: right? oh, don't
5: make me <laughs> <laughs> But just how different it is in different countries, right? And in
2: Romania. (laughs)
5: Romania, It was uh, reach up my ass and jerk off my shit.
2: Wow.
5: (laughs) And so this woman wrote and said, I went and saw your show with my son who has cancer. And I hear you up there using cancer as a laugh line. Hmm. And how do you think that makes me feel? Hmm. And it's like, I wasn't, I didn't make up cancer whore. Like I was quote, quoting the Dutch and I was talking about that in relation to what they say in other countries. Mm. But I thought, well, I was really sorry that her son... I didn't write her back because, Mm. you know, that's awful. Her son has Mm. cancer. Now you've been
3: writing for a few years. Does it get easier or harder?
5: Ah, gosh.
3: Like, do you feel a pressure?
5: No, I don't... I mean uh, do you feel like it's work sure but I never think oh god don't make me do that I mean mm-hmm. I get up every day and go right to my desk mm-hmm. I think the thing is that I don't put too much you know a lot of things don't work out mm-hmm. that's the way it goes and and sometimes you can write something in a week and sometimes it can take you 3 months mm. and you have no control you never know how that's going to be mm. I use, as deadlines, you know, I use these tours that I have. So, uh, like, I have another tour coming up in the United States in November. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to write how I have three new stories to read on that tour. Then I read something out loud and go back to the room and rewrite it and mm. read it and
4: rewrite
3: it. Would you rather write or pick up litter? Hmm.
5: Gosh. I'd rather write, I think, because I'm probably uh, egotistical that way. You know, like with, when you pick up litter, there are a couple people who will say, "Oh my God, I, well done!" But <laughs> m- most people they think it's your community service, or they think that it's There's no that you're ovation. crazy. Do you wear mm-hmm. a high vis jacket? No, because it doesn't go with my outfit. <laughs> when I
3: does Yoshi do a high vis? Probably <laughs> actually.
2: Yes.
5: Well, you know who does is Paul Harndon. Made oh, a high visibility. He started off as a shoemaker uh-huh. uh, here, and he would make shoes and then dig, bury them in his yard, and they would uh, curl up, and uh, and they're pretty fantastic. And then he started <laughs> making clothes, and they almost looked like if you were doing like a a, a really high end Dickens ad- adaptation. Oh, wow. That's at the like I have a pair of trousers of by him that come up to my nipples. Oh, yes. oh, I, I, oh That's exactly yeah. what I wanted. Um, and he's got, he sells things at the Dover Street Market. Right. right. But when the Dover Street Market moved, I went there and I said, gosh, you used to have Paul Harndon. Do you not have him anymore? They said, oh, sure, let's walk you to the, the boutique. So it was a little tiny room with a sheet of plastic over it over the door, and a sign next to it that said, keep out.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm terrified of that place, by the way. David Street Market. I just do not know what's going on.
5: Like, if I went into a fancy store, like, oh, I don't know, like, if I went into the, if you go into the Gucci store, right? You feel like, and and you're looking at a jacket, and then a salesperson comes over, and you realise, oh, never mind, because you never look like he does in that jacket. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm. But at the Dover Street Market, you're looking at a jacket that has a hump built into the back of it, right? <laughs> and then the salesperson comes up, and he looks like he was set on fire. <laughs> and then you think, I can look as good I as can he be does. Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. Do you live here?
3: Is this? Would you class this as your primary residence? Not mainly, just for tax purposes.
5: Mainly, live hmm. in West Sussex. Hmm.
3: Hmm. And then from in the country.
5: France, like we go there some, like my dentist is there. So I'm going to go in a few weeks because I have a dental appointment.
2: God, I'm annoyed <laughs> that my dentist is in Richmond and I live in Hackney, but France.
5: The, the person in France is a periodontist. So I been have a relationship with him for like over 10 years. Mm. But the dentist that I go to is here. But I was in the dentist's office a couple of weeks ago getting a crown. And mm-hmm. they told me about a, a, a guy who came in and he had not brushed his teeth since his girlfriend broke up with him. Oh. Eight years ago. Oh, God. And what was in the mouth? They mm. said it was just unbelievable. I, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to have seen pictures.
3: Are you surprised that you've ended up in West Sussex, as in? Yeah. You know what I mean? That because that when part I was of that part of the plan.
5: When <laughs> I was young, you know, I, I had to live in New York City, and I. You know, I moved to Chicago and then New York City and then Paris and then London. And I didn't think I could live in the country. And this is the country.
4: Mm.
5: And I uh, love it. Mm. And all I do is, my world's pretty small. I just pick up trash for four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. And it's everything. Is it that to me. much?
2: I didn't realize. Because mm-hmm. I, yeah. I obviously know that you but, like picking up but
5: you, know, but you can clean a stretch of road and then two days later it's filthy again. Mm -hmm. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: What is it about that? I don't know. What is it? Is it like
5: meditation? Yeah, it's exercise and it's, I mean even when I lived in France and we were in Normandy, I'd take long walks every day and so I still take a long walk. It's just look, these cans and bottles are here and I just can't pass them by. Mm. Have you heard of rogue planters? Mm-mm.
3: So there are people that go around and they plant. So I'm. I'd, I would like to say it's because I want to do nice things for the community, but it could just be because I'm controlling, and I want a roundabout to look the way I want to look it mm. because I live there. So there's a roundabout mm. Battersea, and I was like, every time I drive past it, I'm like, I'm just going to plant plants on that roundabout mm. because, huh? No one's doing anything about it. Anyway, now they did. But now my thing is. I need to weed those flower beds oh. because they're not being weeded. So do you do it? No, but maybe I just should. Yeah. yeah. I have the same for thing it. in the park. It's a community thing. But you know what? They wouldn't let me in London. I bet they wouldn't. I'd probably be arrested. I see well, They always down,
5: want to tell you you can't do it, right? I was cleaning this stretch of road and it was a two-lane road, right? I pulled 60 bags of rubbish mm. off a two-mile stretch of road
0: mm.
5: in Sussex, right? And then the council said, you can't do that anymore. And then I thought, I don't work for you.
0: Hmm. You
5: can't tell me what to do. It's not against the law to walk along that stretch of road. And I don't see any sign saying. Yeah. And there's parts where there's no verge, but I'm not a child. You know.
3: Did you not want kids? You don't want kids?
5: No, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm a, I, I was signing books a few weeks ago when I met these 20-year-old gay couple. And they said we're gonna have babies. We, you know, we can't wait to have babies. And I, when I was that age, you couldn't even. I mean, maybe if your sister and brother-in-law both died in the car accident, you could maybe sort of get your hands on their child. But it wasn't anything to even dream about. Hmm. You know, it'd be like dream about. You know, to dream that you could fly. So hmm. no. Do you want children? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you want babies or do you no. want children?
3: Chris wants babies. I want, like, four upwards. Really? Yeah.
5: Because I met a guy a couple of years ago and he tries to get teenagers adopted. And I said, oh, that's, you just hear horror stories. He said, I can tell you so many wonderful stories about teenagers who... Mm. You know, we have so many great kids who need a home and and... Pretty much I had heard that if you get a child that late in life, they, you know, they're just so angry. Hmm. But according to this guy...
3: I not know if you can do it. How did, You're an uncle, aren't you? You're an uncle. I'm an uncle. And do you like that? Do you, like,
5: yeah, do you enjoy but, that? Yeah, but I, I realized a while ago I don't really need a title. I mean, I have all these friends with kids, and I've been in their lives since they were born, and I write them, and I shower them with gifts, and I. And I, it made, made me feel like... Silly, like, oh, gosh, why did I ever think I needed
2: do you, but do you to be you a thi- godfather, to be a... Um, but do you think that's just a personal, that's just completely your point of view, or you feel that it's strange that other people want to do it? Because
5: No, I don't think it's strange that other people want to do it, but... Do uh, you ever go to Provincetown? No. No. Okay, it's like the gayest place on earth, and so I started doing shows there. Mm. I started doing shows there, and uh, and it all in the summer it's like this weekend, that weekend. So I always wind up going on Gay Parent Weekend, mm-hmm. and gay men have the ugliest babies. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know. I guess they go to places and they'll, they'll go to another country, and they'll say, "Well, okay, you can have this one," and it's got one eye on its cheek and one eye on its forehead, and and so they, it's great that that they. Maybe nobody else wanted this child, but mm. gay people are like, well, it's hard to get one, so yeah. <laughs> but you look into prams and you go, huh.
3: <laughs> and you go, oh, <laughs> and so also, unique.
5: I mean... Also, I notice when I'm there that g- lesbians will say, Brian, get over here. And gay men are like, sweetheart, mm. cookie, honey bun. And it's almost like they have to be... Ten times better than regular parents to prove that they're deserving. And you want to say to them, it's okay. It's not child abuse to call your child by its name.
2: Do you think that we are moving into a time where gay men, for example, you know, a lot of the LGBT community have been given the option to have children and then it's become like there's this rush to be heteronormative and all of that, but then in 30 years' time it might become another version, which is that... People will. Why did we do that? <laughs> yeah, like m- maybe we won't have children because it doesn't mean that I'm legitimizing myself by having children. Because I mean, the reason I want to have kids is because I think that there is very little point being here on this planet. But one of them is it's it really interesting to have a child, look after it, see it grow up. Like I think, and and that's why you know. That sounds a bit mathematical, but, you know.
5: Part of it for me was my fear that what if you have a child and you don't like it? Mm.
2: You know what I mean? You're not going to I mean,
5: like my dad, (laughs) and I don't mean to sound like a... My dad never liked me, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it was pretty clear from the very beginning. I just wasn't his kind, his type. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so I thought, and I'm not crying about it because I've made a fortune off of that, but... I think, I don't know, I'd, I wouldn't want to be the parent in that situation. And let's say if you only had one kid, if you had, or I guess it wouldn't matter how many you had, but and if you it, have this kid and every time he walked into the room, you're like, oh my God, like where do I even start oh, it'd be fixing awful. you? Did your dad tell you
3: that? And have you told, have you had that he discussion say, with your dad?
5: <clears throat> I met a woman a while ago and her father used to say to her, your mother is my right arm. My business is my left. You are nothing to me. Oh. You are zero. Wow. But my father's variation on that was everything you touch turns to crap. And you know what you are? A big fat zero.
3: He didn't say that to you, did he?
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, my, my, oh, my goodness. Every day when I was growing up. Then why'd you spend time with him?
3: Well, I mean, you? I was living in his house. I know. I mean, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yes. You just get out. Groceries. There. <laughs> I was
5: four. a <laughs> um,
3: spine. Um, now, as an adult, then, did you, did you want to him to stay in your life, or you wanted to stay in his life? I mean, or did you ever I, have that discussion?: I stay in his that?
5: life I don't you know, now he's old and he's sick, and I guarantee you, I'm really not angry about it. I feel like uh, I needed somebody to push against, you know, but I don't I'm not there for him right now.
3: As he expressed what he thinks about your sexuality, or is that just not ever being discussed?
5: He cut me out of his will, and then a couple of years ago, he told me he would consider cutting me back in if I could make sure that my boyfriend, who I've been with for 26 years now, could never get his hands on any of the money. (laughs) Can you imagine being the type of person who would say, Okay let's draw draw up the papers.
3: I mean, for the listeners, my mouth is... (laughs) Thank God I brushed my teeth. (laughs) Wow. I don't
5: know what to say to that. I know. Well,
3: because... I'm not judging it. I just... That isn't... Feel free free to judge it. (laughs) (laughs) That is astonishing.
5: (laughs) Well, especially what that says, because I've been with my boyfriend for 26 years, and my father said a while ago, boy, he sure found himself a meal ticket, didn't he? (gasps) And so what that suggests is that nobody could ever love me for who I am. Some people can use me, Mm. but they could never love me.
3: And can I say I'm jealous of your relationship? Mm. Okay, I've said it. Because (laughs) I, I haven't had a relationship past two years. Relationships are like number one trigger for me. Really? Yeah, so I just find it very difficult. I think it's getting easier. So when I read your books and when I've read about Hugh, I'm like, oh, it just sounds so lovely, and they, they live in West Sussex, and you know, they might go to Paris, and oh, I bet they've got a lovely front room. You know, things like that. When I get past the jealousy, I'm genuinely intrigued, because for me it's like,
5: how does that happen? How did it happen? You know, I think part how did you of me-
3: How did you Did you know? Like,
5: I'd been in a relationship with somebody else before I met Hugh. But, you know, you have to want the same thing, right? So the person I was in a relationship with wanted to sleep with like tons of other people, you know? And I didn't, I know, I've just always been monogamous, you know? And so sometimes if you try to go along with that, you're like, yeah, okay, Mm. all right. You know, but if it's not in your heart, I mean, for a lot of people that works out. They both do that and they have whatever rules or whatever, but I think you have to be in agreement on mm-hmm. that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that was the main thing with Hugh, is that he did was not, you know, he was like monogamous too. So it just made it so much easier. You know, you don't have to worry that, I mean, Hugh came and surprised me. I was on tour in the United States last week and I was in San Francisco for four days and then I was gonna be in Los Angeles for two days. So I walk into the lobby in, my, in the hotel in San Francisco and there he is, he flew. Uh over to surprise me, you know. But can you imagine what that would have been like if I'd been with somebody? Uh, and he flew over. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine with that, how awful that would Yeah. Surprise. Have been? But, so when you don't have that to worry about, that's mm-hmm. a big, that's a big uh, plus. But then when you've been with somebody that long, it's like, you know, really the trick is you just after about eight years, you just stop listening to them because they're not going to say anything you haven't heard before. And you have to look like you're listening, you know, but but you don't have to actually, it's to your benefit not to actually listen. And it goes, works the other way. Like I'll talk to Hugh and I'll realize, and the only time he gets in trouble is when he isn't pretending to listen. (laughs) when he's not listening. I'm like, you can at least pretend. (laughs)
3: Do you get asked to comment much on the political or social state of places? Because in in a way, I think you are a commentator for your own life in your books. First question. Second question, what do you think about the state of America at the moment?
5: Well, when I go to another country, you'd think, like I went to Australia recently, and you'd think that I was a political writer, the questions I was getting. Mm. My opinions are the same. Opinions that you know your friends have. You know, I mean, I hate Donald Trump, but we could have a contest who hates him more. We, you know, I might win by a hair, you know, but I don't have anything clever to say. And when, when I'm in front of an audience, it would be easy to pander to them, but it, it doesn't feel good, you mm-hmm. know, like you could just say basically. Donald Trump's an asshole and people would applaud, but you didn't say anything clever. You didn't say anything. And generally I find people in America are so worn down by it, you know?
1: Mm.
5: And they are, a lot of times they're like, God, can we go five minutes without hearing his name? Because he's just so everywhere. I mean, it seemed Mm. like Barack Obama, there'd be weeks at a time he didn't even make the paper. Mm. But you look at the New York Times and there's five above the fold stories about some you know, horrible things that Donald Trump has done, and it's really...
3: Justifiably, do you think, or is it just, like, easy news?
5: No, I mean, there are important things that he's done that are going to wreck people's lives, and the lives that are being wrecked are the people who voted for him. You know, when you look at the pictures of the rallies, and I think so much of it has to do with, like, he was on TV. Hmm. He was on TV. And it never seemed to me, maybe it's the same with you, it's not that hard to get on TV. You know what I mean? I mean, it seems to me like if you want to be on TV, you can be on TV. Yeah, you can find you know, a way. You, you might have to move to, you know, Los Angeles or something, or, <laughs> but it, not that difficult.
0: Mm.
3: It's, I'm, interested, I'm interested as a state of, of what it says about a country. The man himself or the thing, I, don't actually, I won't even read anything. I deliberately don't engage In anything with that, with him, because then I think, oh gosh, I'm I'm part of the whole,
5: I'm part of the problem. Then, Mm -hmm.
3: as as an overview of a country, I think it's fascinating. I like um,
5: Bill Maher is a comedian, a political comedian in America who I like a lot, and he had said in 2016 he predicted that if elected, Donald Trump would change the symbol of America from an eagle to a turtle fucking a shoe. exactly what happened <laughs>
2: there's your next tattoo William a turtle fucking shoe.
3: <laughs> he's bright isn't he he's a bright man not Donald Trump David Sedaris
2: <laughs> yes he is and uh, he was saying how everywhere, everywhere he goes people ask him about Trump and he's and he's quite a little bit bored of it. And he's, so. and he's been with his husband, hasn't he, Hugh, for yeah. years. And really interesting what he was saying about. I could tell he was well. I don't want to put words in his mouth, actually, but it was quite interesting his reaction to the idea of me saying I wanted kids and what he thought about that. Don't know. I couldn't. I don't feel like I could entirely gauge what he really thought about that in the room. Do you know what I mean?
3: No, I couldn't either. I wonder if that was just like a, people do have quite well very different views, don't they? On on having children I don't know if that's a uh, and I don't mean this with any disrespect is that a generational thing
2: well I've had a lot of older gay men I know gay you men, have. <laughs> is that they have remarked that they think it's absurd that I want to have kids and I wonder what our listeners think about that
3: yes I think we, they should get in touch Now, what's our end song? Because you're in America, I feel it should be something linked to that. <gasps> You'll be it just, it just, my American boy, <gasps> American. Take me to uh, a homo uh, sapiens, uh, homo salmo. <clears throat> <homo. clears throat> hey, take me to New York to and American San
2: Francisco Bay. Bay.
3: I really want to. LGBTQ. LGBTQ. Well, hey, fuck, that's good. You'll be, You'll my, be my American, American boy, American boy. How
2: good was that song? You go very low in that bit, did not you? I'm a tenor. I'm Aquarius. <laughs> you want to get that checked out? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.